And you can tell whenever a one a one minute period of rejecting penalties and running the clock is the most interesting thing to talk about in a game. What kind of game it was, you know? With a Bill Belichick. Yeah. Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We've got a couple of trades that have just gone down. We're going to talk about. We've got to talk about all those games that just happened. A couple of look forwards to next week, and yeah, just catch up on all this news that's coming in hard and fast. So hey, we got Connor here, and we got Ronan. Hello. How are you getting on? Any crack? Ah, oh, yeah, not too bad. Tipping away at work as usual, and not not a great week for the old sport. I'm going to be honest. Like uh, mm. I mentioned last week, Ireland lost to qualifier in the soccer. They got knocked out of the Rugby World Cup. Uh, United, who Man United, who I support in the soccer, blew a one 0 lead. Uh, Seahawks lose. A lot of my fans teams did bad, but thankfully there's a lot more to life than sports. Uh, so I'm getting all getting on pretty well. Um, <laughs> but we're definitely we're definitely in like the trough part of the uh, NFL schedule where they kind of shove the kind of let's say less favored children of the schedule. You know, still enough to get going in red zone, thankfully. But uh, yeah. Not looking at the best football at the moment, to be honest. No, no, I think next week in particular looks like it might be a little bit shaky. I think, if I remember correctly, the London game that's on next week is opening with a line of minus 14.5 points, which is the largest any of the London games have opened with, which is not a not not, not a glowing review of the quality of the football that might be on show there. Tickets are going for basically nothing at the moment. Yeah, we'll have a look and see. Uh, we've also gotten to the exciting part, and we'll be discussing this in the questions section and with some of the news of uh, we've got exactly one week when we're recording this until the trade deadline so we're expecting to see a lot of movement in the upcoming days so we're going to talk about what's happened already and some of the stuff that we expect to come up or what we'd like to see happen in the next week so we'll start with the injuries there's been a few this week which are a bit of a problem so first up kansas city quarterback pat mahomes has injured his knee and he's out for three to five weeks it was a dislocated kneecap that happened on a qb sneak near the goal line they popped the knee back in on the field and he walked out under his own body weight without support. But they've looked at it and they've said they reckon it'll be maybe a three to four week injury. Uh, the key being that in four weeks time they have a bye week anyway. And the game in four weeks is the game against the Chargers in Mexico where they had problems with the turf last year. So maybe not necessarily the game that you want to bring him back on uh, if you're worried about the quality of the turf. But obviously this means Matt Moore is going to be filling in for the next couple of weeks. Although the reports coming out are that Mahomes reckons he could be ready to play well before then. But in my opinion, just keep him out and keep him safe. If we can go two and two over the next four games, we're, we're, we're fine. Yeah, I think that that is the context here. I think like you compare this to something like Drew Brees, who is on the cusp of coming back at the top of the NSC where there's a lot of competition they might bring it back early, but I think in the AFC West, where your closest competition is the three and three Raiders, they have some tough games coming up against teams like Green Bay, like Minnesota. They'll struggle. And Minnesota they'll struggle to win. But as I say, if they go, if they go one or two or two and two over the next three to four games, I think they can hold the mantle after the bye week. I think it's just considering how it looked at the time. I think the, the league and Kansas City fans in, in, in particular are, are just thankful that it didn't turn out to be a season ender. Oh yeah, I saw it happen on the field, and I went, "Oh God, oh no, what's up?" Yeah. <laughs> they were like, "Please God, no!" Yeah, and a lot of memes at the time as well. I think you know the one thing to know is that he, his mobility was limited due to an ankle sprain already. Mm-hmm. He will be coming back in a brace, so he will be less effective than he is at his peak, but. 
I think we've already seen that even when he's been on the ankle sprain, that like an 80% Patrick Mahomes is still more than good enough to be a top-level quarterback in yeah. this league. So no, of course. Get yeah. back same pass, and maybe Matt Moore can do something surprising between now and then. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it when we come to the games, but uh, there's, there's always there's always a chance. Uh, Atlanta quarterback Matt Ryan injured his ankle in the third quarter of the game, so he's gone week to week. They're saying that they don't reckon it's a, an injury that's going to keep him out of games. But there's always a risk there, particularly when you're looking at that Atlanta team. It's kind of going a bit shit. They're not really getting <laughs> anything going. They're, it's already kind of an, uh, an open secret within the NFL that they're going to clear out the, uh, the management after the season. So realistically, is keeping your franchise quarterback, because I presume they're going to stick with Matt Ryan as their franchise quarterback. Yeah. Is it the worst thing in the world to have him take a couple of less hits in a dead season? It's, it's probably not, but the coach is still there and the coach will want to fight for every chance of survival he has. They aren't very good right now, but if it's your job on the line, you're probably willing to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, like, you know, there's many issues with Atlanta. And Matt Ryan probably hasn't been at his MVP level, but he has been throwing up lots of yards, throwing lots of touchdowns, a, lot of, a few boneheaded decisions that I definitely wouldn't be a fan of, but... You know, there's way bigger structural issues in that team right now. It's just, it seems like the spine of that team is just very weak right now. Mm. And, you know, they also lose, uh, perhaps my new lose running back, Ito Smith, due to concussion this week. And uh, he's another primary change of pace running back. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, Atlanta might still be able to put up yards, but, you know, Matt Schaub definitely puts a huge, huge, hugely lower ceiling on this team going yeah. forward Large. if Matt Ryan misses any time. No, of course. Detroit have lost running back on Johnson to a knee injury. So cue everyone hitting them waiver wires trying to pick up his backup at the moment. He's the hot commodity in the fantasy market. But yeah, that's a big knock to that team who have been impressive in spurts this season, but also somewhat inconsistent. And he was a big part of what their identity was going forward. They were using him quite a lot. Yeah, like they had C.J. Anderson earlier in the season and they, they got rid of him uh, because they wanted to give on more exposure but I think Ty Johnson and JD McKissick probably combined maybe have the same skill set but perhaps not the same player like Kerry has. No of course uh, Houston wide receiver Will Fuller has injured his hamstring so he's now gone for a couple of weeks this is obviously following he had his massive like uh, was it four touchdown day two weeks ago and then proceeded yeah. to do very little and then get injured now so he's going to be out. Uh, they've got a couple of pieces to step in. I think Kiki Kute is expected to take a lot of the snaps that he was taking beforehand. But he was a very good, if mercurial, wide receiver too for that uh, offense. And that's obviously going to take yeah. an impact, particularly with them now trailing in their division. I almost imagine him and the trade acquisition, uh, Kenny Stills, are almost like an injury rotation. Mm. Each time one is healthy, the other gets injured. And they probably fulfill a very similar home run hitter type role within that offense and with Deshaun Watson that's a, actually a pretty important role so if Kenny Stills is on your waiver wire more fancy advice uh, I definitely would pick him up yeah of course and a wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings Adam Thielen has injured his hamstring and he's week to week we're not sure how long term this will be but given that they're playing on a short week on Thursday night football you can probably expect that he's not going to be playing there anyway but they've been getting a lot of production and even production out of their tight ends and stuff of late and this offense seems to be firing on pretty much all cylinders so I'm sure they can probably weather a week or two without uh, Adam Thielen right yeah if he misses Thursday night football as well preview he's playing the Mazungus, the, the Washington team that oh they'll eat them alive that top quality team that they have to play there probably not the greatest challenge they could probably survive yeah maybe Kyle Rudolph gets a bit more involved this week but uh, 
unless something goes disastrously, they'll, they'll not miss him unless he misses more than one week. And they're fairly confident just due to the short week that he'll miss maybe this game. No, of course. Uh, we'll go over to Controversy Corner. There's uh, been a couple of interesting bits happening. So we mentioned last week that the big issue so far this season has been the refing, inconsistency in decisions, them not actually overturning stuff, just like huge inconsistencies and just wrong decisions costing games. So this seems to have gotten even worse than when it was there. So we've had some bad decisions this week. But on top of that, the NFL has decided that it was going to fine players who were publicly speaking out against the bad refereeing decisions. Now, of course, this didn't happen to Tom Brady because he did this two weeks ago. But Baker Mayfield, Clay Matthews and Tracy Walker all received fines of, I think, $12,500 for tweets where they said, these refs are missing a lot of calls or this is bad refereeing, which are clearly just true statements and reflections of what fans are saying so like why is it that the nfl feels it's okay to like charge the players of this it's not like you know i always kind of thought that truth was a defense for defamation or whatever <laughs> like why is this an issue yeah but this is kind of at the discretion of the uh, nfl and i think the referees are another party i suppose that they they're trying to keep on side and i think it's not something it's something that like the nfl would much rather they don't talk about it whether they've just activated the Streisand effect by doing this is, a, is another question. But yeah, like Baker Mayfield and Clay Matthews, both very public about this. Tracy Walker, probably lesser known, but also pretty public. I think it's just like, it's a situation where there's obviously some term in the current CBA saying that, you know, certain things are beyond the pale for criticizing and they fall in the file of it. But like, legitimately, the referees have made mistakes. I think players should have the opportunity to call them out and yeah. to say that there's been a trend of them being wrong. And, yeah, I think in these cases, it wasn't Clay Matthews saying they're wrong. I think, like, in the case of Clay Matthews, it probably wasn't the fact that he was calling out the refs that's the problem. It's kind of the end that he got personally kind of stuck into Al Riveron, the vice president of referee of officiating, mm-hmm. and talked about it there being no accountability. I think there's probably a line that you can go up to, and perhaps Baker, who's all known for holding his tongue, and Clay Matthews, who I think was trying to be provocative, maybe crossed over. But I just think, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't going to make the league look any better. It's not going to make the complaints go away. Like, after all, this this this, this weekend, like the Detroit Lions fans were trying to bribe the referees <laughs> after the Monday Night Football debacle. So yeah. the refereeing situation is going away. And I think after the uh, PI, like, rule change, it's definitely not going away for the rest of the season anyway. Yeah, if anything, though, this is the kind of thing... If, I know this is probably them trying to kind of get this to stop or stop people from commenting on it but all it's really doing in my head is drawing attention to the fact that it's going bad and they're trying to actively shut people up about it it's that kind of you know oh don't talk about that burning building kind of thing and suddenly everyone's going wait what 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 building's on fire kind of thing it's just uh yeah it just seems like a mess uh crime and punishment but it's been remarkable so far this year that it's the last couple of weeks in particular it's mostly just been internal stuff there hasn't actually been too much actual crime stuff. Uh, Cincinnati offensive lineman Cordy Glenn was suspended for one game for internal disciplinary reasons. How bad did, did he have sex with like the owner's wife or something? Because it's the only way I can think of that Cincinnati would choose to have less options <laughs> on that offensive line. It's abysmal as it stands. And now they're going to remove not a good piece, but like, you know, he's a large man who can stand there, which is probably more than a lot of the people on the roster can do. He was coming off, uh, I believe, 
concussion protocol. Basically asked for his release, uh, got fined a shit ton of money, and, and now they've shown, like, so obviously this has been going on for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is like a health issue, like with Trent Williams, but it might just be a incredibly unhappy with the organization type of thing in general. I can see that, to be honest. Left, I suppose tackles are just so valuable right now that they might be willing to just like hold on to him and, and not do anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think this is something that's likely to end up in a, in a positive way. So, you know, suspending him, maybe this is leading to them getting more money back if they do choose to release him. But it definitely feels like this is a tough dismissal. Yeah. Uh, that might be what they're moving towards here. And yeah, it, it has been noted that there's been no arrests in the NFL for many weeks. I believe we're now at a almost a record for like a decade long record for no arrests for NFL active NFL player That's um, right. so uh, we'll, we'll probably note when the streak ends but uh, it is ongoing uh, well, like, well, you, guarantee, you guarantee because we talked about it today it's going to end now while we're editing this before <laughs> we put it out they're like oh 45 of them caught up in a sex ring oh well here's yeah, two teams so are folding there, you know no you know even if you had arrested not, there's no cancel culture in the NFL that's for sure like uh, Mark Walton who we talked about in the offseason, he's currently the lead back for the, for the Dolphins. Mm. Um, so truly anyone can come back in the NFL these days. That's true, that's true. So we'll move on to a couple of transactions that have happened around the leagues. Some of these are very interesting. This one I quite like. Oakland have extended tight end Darren Waller, three-year, $27 million deal. He's been playing outstanding for them so far this season. In his return uh, from, I believe it was an uh, alcohol addiction, yeah, he's had issues with substance yeah. alcohol addiction in the past. And, but uh, uh, he's he's played great for them, and it's 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 a good deal because they're getting him at a good price. Presumably, this is going to be some kind of team friendly kind of option situation in the details of this as well. But also, it means that he gets paid now and early, barring any kind of helps him if there's any injuries, like you saw with Will Disley and the Seahawks and things like that. That it's nice to see a player turn his life around, be playing well, and get paid, even if it is for the Raiders. 62 receptions, 663 yards, four touchdowns. He's the leading receiver for the Raiders. We know Derek Carr loves his tight ends. If they make a change of quarterback, this this may end up being like he might be less dominant. But uh, yeah, I think he's like you considering his backstory and the work he's done to get to this point. He was like a really good, like a feel good story during hard knocks this year. It's just good to see one of those guys actually make it true and. Uh, fulfill his kind of dream goal like I, I think he this is an extension so his current deal which I think is either for one or two years is basically you know like pennies on the dollar yeah. for his value uh, but he is now guaranteed to get some you know decent money down the road mm-hmm. uh, and some of it up front of course during the signing bonus but uh, a good story all round and definitely a positive point for an Oakland team that we're probably not sold on as a contender but certainly isn't having the horrific shit show that it could have had based on some of the uh, yeah. preseason predictions. No, of course. We've had the first spate of trades coming in now, uh, coming up to the deadline. So the first one I heard about today was the New England trade, which is uh, a big one. So they've traded the 2020 second rounder to Atlanta for wide receiver Mohamed Sanu. So this is obviously, they've got injuries to a lot of their wide receiving core. They, I think was it last week, they said that they had to run an entire half out of a single set of personnel because of the limitations of not having enough non-injured skill position players on the roster at the time. But yeah, so this means that if they get back to strength, they've got a very nice looking collection of wide receivers. Sanu is a good receiver, but he's a good blocker as well and will work quite well in that scheme. I like the fit. I do think a second seems a little bit high to me for him. Is that just purely because the Patriots will, you know, be in somewhere between 60 to 64 range? Or is this just a, 
they need a they need a player, and most people don't want to trade players to them. I think the reports indicate that they were aggressively looking to trade for Mosinu in the off season, and Atlanta are basically not not playing ball at all. Obviously, no Atlanta are in a much less positive position than they probably thought they would be at this stage, and so they're probably thinking towards the future. Whether that future includes the current includes the current coaching staff is a different question, but certainly the front office is thinking towards the future. The future of, at wide receiver there is obviously Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones anyway. I think for New England, Josh Gordon has been injured, and so they've been relying on Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, and then Jacoby Myers has been playing a lot recently. So I think Mohamed Sanu, he's great as a wide receiver two, wide receiver three type play. And I think, yeah, he's just a great all-round New England type player. He'll fit it right in, and he'll just, like, he probably won't put, he probably won't have spectacular weeks, but he'll continue to put up, like, 50... 50 to 100 yards every week just be a solid player move the chains and right now for a New England team which is so busy their defense is doing most of the work that's all they need their offense to keep doing to yeah. basically keep racking up those wins right now and I think it's is it week 9 Nikhil Harry comes back from IR for them as yeah. well and stuff so they'll have it's actually that's the one question mark I have that probably indicates that Nikhil Harry they don't see him as the uh like an all-action wide receiver. Film. Yeah, not, not an instant fit to go straight into the lineup, maybe, or something along those lines. But I suppose they've also got, like, they've got those tight ends, they got, and they're doing absolutely nothing with them. So maybe they're looking for kind of just a physical body, kind of maybe stop running two tight end sets or whatever, and just start running more spread-wise or something. I don't know. The other one, this one confuses the shit out of me, to be honest. Houston trade the third-round pick in next year's draft for Gary and Connolly from the Oakland Raiders. So this is the pick that they got from the Clowney trade. So it means by giving up Clowney, they got Barkevius, Mingo, Martin, and Gary and Connolly, who has been an atrocious, and I mean atrocious, like probably bottom three or four in the league cornerback this season. He's allowed, I think, 85 plus percent of the passes thrown at him. He's allowed five touchdowns this season. It's, I, I just don't understand it. He's not worth a third round pick. And I don't know what Houston are doing firing a third round pick at it because it's not necessarily the position that I thought that they'd need to bolster even at this point. I don't think, I don't think adding a cornerback pushes them over, but I also, I definitely don't think adding this cornerback pushes them over. This could be one of the situations maybe Houston feel they found a player that better fits their scheme than in Oakland. I'm not familiar enough with, with their respective schemes to make that call, but uh, obviously they decided that this third-round pick, a former first-round pick, might be more valued than whatever they get there. Uh, I think they are they are very thin right now. They did manage to get Jonathan Joseph back this week, but they, they are basically down to the scraps right now of their defensive backfield. And so even if Gary Conley turns into like a, a slot corner or kind of depth corner for a team that has few corners and who have corners who tend to get injured, maybe that's sufficient value for a third round pick. But uh, I suppose for Houston, they're doing well right now. They maybe, to a certain extent, did win now with the cheap with the cheap Watson contract. Um, so these moves, they're not completely unjustifiable. But uh, mm. based on his actual play in Oakland, yeah, not much value here in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of like you look at how he's played on his co- and all that stuff, and you kind of go, well. The Ravens were able to pick up Marcus Peters for all his flaws, a better corner back than him for a fifth and a backup linebacker. Like it's kind of, I just yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see the value they're getting here. And this is another one that goes into the column of kind of what the hell 
Bill, like, what are you doing with your dual powers here? Because, yeah, it was a good spot. I understand even overpaying for the offensive line help with Tunsil. I don't agree with the Clowney trade, and then I don't know why you take that third round value that you have left over and you use it here in this spot for this. I would imagine that there'd be practice squad players on other teams you could sign that would give you the kind of production that you've been seeing from Connolly. But like you say, maybe they see something scheme-wise that, 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 that we don't. And finally, I suppose this is a nice one. Brock Lobster has decided to retire. If people remember the Crustacean sensation, uh, 15 and 15 as a starter, has a Super Bowl ring, threw uh, 37 touchdowns, 31 interceptions, made over 40 million in his time there, and was the first that I can think of anyway, contract where a team paid another team picks to take him off their books. Not necessarily to play him, just to take him off their books because he was that bad. It's impressive. He had a, he had a he has one of those kind of like uh, perfect like uh, table quiz type careers that that will live long in the in the memory of that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, like Brock Lobster, he was quite the character. You know, I think it's, it's something that the, the moment that seemed to be brought up the most while uh, talking about his retirement was when. Uh, he was on this on the field looking to get onto the field, and then Peyton Manning runs on, and then he's basically going, "What the hell happened? Like, why is Peyton Manning running on yeah. instead of me?" But uh, the crustacean sensation, Brock Osweiler, one of the you know kind of like clipboard Jesus, one of those quarterbacks you kind of like to see running around, but obviously he's decided that he's made enough right now, and may he enjoy his uh, post NFL career. Yeah, of course. It's, um, he needs to have one, of course. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's it's interesting to remember as well for anyone out there. You know, as 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 a Chiefs fan, I always have to point out the failings of the the teams that are in my division. It was only by virtue of Bill O'Brien offering, I think, a million more than was being offered by John Elway that John Elway didn't give a thirty-five, forty million dollar extension to him and have him as a quarterback to compound the woes a quarterback that the Broncos have had under his tenure. He's escaped the, the, the criticism for this because he was outbid by like half a million or so, but he wanted to give this guy a huge long-term extension and we saw what he was like in the league. I suppose speaking of poor quarterback play in Denver, we can move on to the game reviews. Yeah, let's swing on across. <laughs> So first up, Kansas City at Denver. This one was a bit of a stinker, I'll be honest. Uh, 30-6. Yeah, Denver had a nice opening drive, missed the extra point, and then just did nothing from that point onwards. Uh, the Chiefs' offense was okay. The defense had a very slow start. They had a couple of penalties on the opening drive, and then from that point onwards just kicked into gear. And I think they had nine sacks in the game. They had a number of batted passes. Frank Clark looked good, and I'm sure that's probably more of a factor of a poor Broncos team and Joe Flacco looking like he actually just was high as shit and didn't want to actually be playing football at that point. Yeah, like there's a lot of talk about the Chiefs' defense having turned the corner. I'm not sure if you can make that call from looking at this Denver game because I think that could be a you know a, a two-team job rather than just the defensive unit. But um, it'll be interesting to see it going forward. Denver look rudderless. They haven't a clue what they're doing. I don't think they're going to last until the bye before putting the young kid in. I think they're looking for an excuse to get him in now. I think the big statistic about the Denver offense is that the number of yards they made 
was exceeded by the number that they lost from sacks and flags <laughs> combined. It was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. At one point, they ran a fake punt pass that was spotted by the defense before they'd even snapped the ball. So that punter got tackled in the backfield about 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage on the fake punt. I mean, not even attempted to throw it away because they were already on top of everyone at that point. It was just, yeah, an absolute mess. Denver, get your act together. Uh, Oakland at Green Bay. This one was surprisingly more exciting than I was expecting. 24-42. to 42. Uh, Aaron Rodgers... Had a great day. Six touchdowns out of eight drives, over 400 yards. Their defense looked good. Oakland looked really good. And if it wasn't for a couple of costly little mistakes, they could have gone into the half leading this game rather than the scoreline be what it is. There was a couple of big kind of turnaround plays and obviously a couple of mistakes. But yeah, like not not great from Oakland, but much better than I was expecting. And I, I, I was not in any way thinking they could have had a chance coming into this game. But I was coming out of the out of the first half thinking Oakland should be ahead and maybe they could do it in the second half. I think Oakland definitely showed a lot more than we might have expected against the defense in Green Bay, which were pretty high on, I'd say. I think right now, like Josh Jacobs is looking like a like an excellent running back. 124 yards and 21 carries. He was compared in the telecast to Bo Jackson. I'm not quite ready to to do that just yet, but certainly Josh Jacobs, as they've made him the centerpiece of the offense, has truly become an impressive player. And Derek Carr continues to be efficient, 22 out of 28, though an interception. But I think you know the difference, perhaps like that problem with the Oakland Raiders, that perhaps they just still lack that little bit of intelligence behind the in the out gray matter. You think to the to the attempted touchdown run from Carr where he fumbled it into the end zone creating a touchback uh, just coming up the, to the end of the first half absolutely killer type of mistake from oh, yeah. Derek Carr like it's happened enough times over the last couple of years that you should know better than to do it. I know it's unlikely but it still can happen so like Oakland do lots of good things they have all of these yards over 450 but just those couple of boneheaded mistakes ended up costing them and against a game like Green Bay where Aaron Rodgers was just lighting them up like and being so incredibly efficient that those kind of mistakes come back to haunt you but yeah Oakland they're a solid unit but just need to cut out those stupid mistakes yeah. I will say uh, coming out of this game I was looking at that Green Bay going that offense is starting to click a lot more than I'd seen beforehand like they are growing into a really really terrifying looking team if this yeah. keeps going through the season it'll be something else yeah. And don't forget that they were missing Devontae Adams in this game. Yeah. So, and that might actually, you know, like do well for them going forward because, you know, they get a few more opportunities to get MVS involved, Kumaro, Lazar, these guys. Yeah. And then suddenly the depth behind Adams looks a lot nicer for Aaron Rodgers and he has to build that rapport with them. No, of course. Uh, next one was a stinker. I'll let you chat about Rams oh. Atlanta 37 to 10. Yeah, like, I think we've, we've talked enough about Atlanta circling the toilet bowl, but it is worse. You know, mentioning, you know, just reiterating, Matt Ryan got injured in this game. Devonta Freeman, their star running back, got kicked out, ejected. What did he do for that? Was it punching? He got or? into a fight with Aaron Donald. Oh, yeah. He, he threw a punch at Aaron Donald, got ejected for that. But Aaron Donald, basically, in response, was lifting him off the ground like Darth Vader. Um, so, you know, I think any game where you end up with Matt Schaub starting, even if he did get a garbage time touchdown, is not a good one. 
I think, you know, like the Rams weren't that impressive in this game overall. Like they were, they were fine. Gurley had 18 carries, but he wasn't very efficient, less than three yards an attempt. But I think Atlanta right now are such a get right game for everyone that you kind of saw, I suppose, a kind of a simulacrum of like what the LA Ram like playbook is just lots of, lots of running lots of passes to Cup and Woods, etc. like that. Um, but it wasn't really, it wasn't still that kind of, I even I know they got 37 points, but it just like, I think the defense was so bad on the other end, I don't think it was just like that they've got completely right that they'll do this kind of damage against the better teams in the league. Yeah, no, of course. But they are 6-9 this week, so probably won't be challenged next uh, week either. And like Atlanta, like we said, have already shifted Sanu, and I would not be surprised to see them shift a few more pieces in the next week before the uh, deadline hits. Uh, next up, oh god, San Francisco, Washington, nine to zero. This was brutal. The weather was terrible. It was nil nil at halftime. I think it's the first game in like ten or ten years, nearly or something that has, has had no score in the first half. Like it was awful. It was just field goals in the end won it. Couple of nice defensive pieces. The only thing that was enjoyable about this was watching some of the players whenever they got a sack or whatever. Once that defensive line started getting going. But they all started slip and sliding for the yeah. for the celebrations, and that was that was about it. Like it was just yeah, you heard the uh, the radio call from the uh, Washington uh, radio network. Uh, I don't know which one it is, but like basically at the end of the game where Nick Bosa got the final sack to kill the game and did the slip and slide, the uh, the radio commentators were basically going, "They basically we'll get you back for this. You will get you back." <laughs> it's like one of the most bitter. Bitter radio college you'll ever get. It's all it's all over kind of the standard podcast and stuff. But it's I must, uh, probably I must, the only positive thing to come out of this absolute shit show. I must look it up and uh, and have a gander. Uh, that sounds class. Uh, the next one. Uh, this was a great game. Houston and Indianapolis, twenty three to thirty. Indianapolis are doing an unreal job. Like if I know, I know you've talked a lot about this. Peyton. Yeah, Peyton for coach of the year. But I'd be looking quite strongly at uh, at Reagan, all the guys in, in in Indianapolis and what they've been able to manage. Brissett had 300 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, they picked off Watson a few times. Watson was, to be fair though, it's almost unfair. He was making, he, he, he threw, I think, one or two of those picks at the end trying to catch up and just was making kind of the mistake you'd expect him to nearly make in that spot. Obviously, the loss of some of the players hurt them. Fuller not being there for most of the game injured their game plan a bit. But yeah, like this was just, I, I said it last week when we were previewing this game. Indianapolis are a really complete team. Offensive, defensive, multiple levels. Just the only reason we don't think of them that way is because we think they lost their star quarterback. So they can't be a contender. But Brissett is looking great. The coaching is on 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 fire. They got great play calls. They got great defense lining up there. Like I like both these teams to make it to the postseason, but at the moment I'm loving what India are doing. If you talk about maximizing your resources, the Indianapolis Colts right now are the team who's doing that the most. Maybe outside of New England who are just like the experts at that. Like I think Brissett like it's interesting, like most of the season the Colts have been a run heavy team. They've leaned a lot on Marlon Mack. And then in this game, they come out after the bye week and they just basically absolutely shower a very weak Houston secondary. They put the game in Brissett's hand and he absolutely delivered lots of yards for, for the usual suspects like T.Y. Hilton and Eric Ebron, who had like a great 
touchdown reception in the back of the end zone. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, but also to get involved, a new guy like Zach Pascal. So I think just, you know, and the defense, of course, got two sacks, three, like two picks and three sacks. So they're doing stuff there. So I think, like, I think when you look at these two teams, you see a contrast in approaches to building a team. Indianapolis, they're building with, I suppose, for less, you know, without being insulting, no-namers or relatively no-namers, building from the ground up, drafting well, picking up guys who have been left on the wayside and making great players out of them. Whereas Houston, they're relying on a small set of superstars to carry them. And I think in this day, we see that, you know, having like Deshaun Watson, who did some amazing things and had an overturned touchdown, which which was, you know... Ridiculous. Oh, that was, yeah, the, the reffing in this game was awful. Yeah, but... You know, the run game didn't do anything. The defense didn't do anything. There's only so much that Deshaun Watson can do flinging it to, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Kenny Stills and, 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 and Will Fuller, Kiki Kuti, depending on who's healthy. Um, and I think we saw here that, you know, it you know, it was enough to beat the Chiefs, but it's not enough to beat a solid team like Indianapolis. So I think, yeah, Indy, like, they, they might have smaller margins of error against some other teams, but I think against these more fragile teams, who have obvious weaknesses, Frank Reich is good enough and they have the personnel to oh, yeah. purchase 100%. They're in the driving seat uh, AFC side now and definitely could see them keeping it for the rest of the season. Yeah, of course. Minnesota, Detroit, 42-30. Uh, Minnesota showed a nice bit of balance on their offense. Cousins having a great day again. 300 yards, four touchdowns. Cook, again, 140, 150 yards, couple of touchdowns. Like, their defense wasn't, you know, all that great. Because we saw the we saw the Lions be able to make some moves on them, but Detroit without carry on became a little bit one dimensional. Had to have Stafford flinging it around an awful lot. They did what they could, but to be honest, I'm I'm still even though it's been good quality play the last what three weeks, I'm still not convinced with this Minnesota team. Like these are great performances, but I'm still I'm still not sure. Prime time. That's the uh, that's the big question against like if they get into. You know, games against Green Bay on like a Sunday Night Football or something like that, that's when they tend to melt away. Cousins specifically tends to melt away. But I think, you know, they had a game plan early on, run the ball a lot. And I think, you know, most of the success we're seeing for Cousins isn't from like him standing in the pocket and kind of being a, you know, a standard quarterback. They're obviously recognizing that Kirk Cousins isn't good enough to do that. But if you can establish a run with Dalvin Cook with 142 yards, then you can afford to, you know, do play action, do rollouts, do that type of play with Cousins, and he's quite effective at it. I think, you know, they had a fourth down conversion uh, long late on in the game to Stefan Diggs that kind of shows what Kirk Cousins do. He can throw a pretty ball when not under pressure. Mm-hmm. It's just that if, he, if a defense starts getting to him and he's forced to carry the load, that's when we expect Minnesota and Cousins to maybe struggle a bit more. As for Detroit, they are basically relying a lot on um, Matt Stafford right now. And while the defense ha- had been improved recently, this game is a bit of a shock to the system for them. Kind of set resets them back to being, you know, being maybe middle of the pack. And so, if that defense can't kind of live up to some of its earlier performances this year, then it might be a struggle for Detroit. And Stafford to be relevant in a division which are which has like Minnesota and Green Bay yeah. and Chicago can't be completely discounted either. So yeah, no, uh, Minnesota I think are the better team right now. Even if uh, yes, I do expect them to blow up, even if it's in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacksonville at Cincinnati. I mean, blow up in the bad way, by the way. Yeah, 
Jacksonville, Cincinnati, with a stinker, 27-17. Tell us a bit about that. Tell me about my boy Minshew. Basically, this is three quarters of, of basically nothingness. Uh, and then Jacksonville suddenly turned up the heat a bit in the in the, in the final quarter. Uh, Minshew got most of his 255 yards, and he got his touchdown then. And Fournette was solid throughout, as he tends to be at the moment. Uh, but the game, like the story of this game is that Cincinnati in the fourth quarter, they still had it close, and then Dalton just tried decided to throw the ball to the other team like multiple times. He had three picks in this game. He looked terrible at that point. And I think Cincinnati, they're, they're probably not the worst team in the NFL, but they are extremely good at losing games right now. And so Jacksonville, Spanish should say, just about relevant while... You know, this hole that Cincinnati are digging themselves just get darker and darker as the weeks go on. No, of course. Arizona, New York Giants, 27-21. Yeah, this is not a very good game by anyone. Giants look better because they did okay in the back end of the game. But Arizona was handling them. Eight sacks. Chandler Jones having an absolute day. Like, the the, the weirdest one was it was their backup running back, uh, Edmonds, who was kind of toting the rock a lot. He was like over 100 yards, three touchdowns. I think... Uh, Johnson only got in the field whenever Edmonds was getting sick on the sideline or something along those lines. Yeah. Very, like, very Edmonds odd. He's come out subsequently and said that basically David Johnson wasn't really ready to go. It was kind of a, as needs be, according to the coaching staff. Yeah, of course. Like the Giants fought back. Saquon was all right, but not back 100%. Jones was harassed a lot in this. He still made some decent throws, but yeah, he was holding the ball a little bit too long. Their defense were kind of throwing looks at him he wasn't used to. The like I said, even at that, it wasn't that it got out of hand here, but yeah, like two poor teams, but Arizona pulling themselves up to a respectable win-loss total, even if it's not necessarily, I think, reflective of, I don't think, I don't think looking at that team and how it performs, it's a 500 team. Next up, Miami at Buffalo, 21-31. Miami were a bit spirited early on. (laughs) Fitzmagic was... It's definitely an improvement over uh, Rosen. Uh, maybe Miami were a little bit too spirited because uh, Christian Wilkins, uh, their first round pick, got ejected in the first half. But uh, then in the fourth quarter, whether deliberately or not, they absolutely collapsed. And the uh, Buffalo G did its job to keep it close. And then Josh Allen kind of showed up a bit, made a few nice throws, a touchdown to John Brown. But uh, I think the capper of this, of how Miami's season, whether deliberate or not, uh, in terms of badness, was that the... Uh, the play that killed them was an onside kick that was returned by Buffalo for a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, quite quite the failure, uh, but a great play for Micah Hyde. It's but, the uh, uh, the first six... Oh, sorry, no, it's not. Sorry, I was thinking about the opposite way. We did yeah. have the first successful onside kick this week, but yeah, that was not this, this game. The, in the same week we had that, we had the least successful onside kick yeah. at the same time. But uh, Buffalo, there's, you know, they only have one loss in the season. They get another win, but uh, bigger challenges await them. Um, we'll see how they handle those. Yeah, well, I've mentioned to you just before we started. So, uh, Buffalo are the only team over 500 that New England have played. But equally, New England are the only team over 500 that Buffalo have played as well. They've both had complete tomato cans of lineups so far. So, we'll look forward to seeing what the back half of the season brings. Uh, Chargers at Tennessee, 20-23. to This was a terrible game that... We're just going to talk a little bit about because highlights the Chargers losing once again in awkward circumstances. Try to run it in, I think, two or three times on the goal line. Twice called back from the one-yard line uh, until they eventually fumbled it and 
lost the game on that. Eckler had been very good in this game and had gotten them down to that point and then they decided, oh, do you know what? Let's take out that running back who's been doing well and put in the guy who's not been doing well at all for us so far. Yeah, like, Tennessee are not good either. Like I said last week, I'm, I'm done with these excuses. I'm not accepting this kind of like, oh, they're injured. Oh, it's just so unlucky. At a certain point, if you consistently lose these games, you need to change how you're playing fucking football because... Every year they're the winners of the offseason. Every year they're going to win the AFC West. Every year they're going to be the best. And then they shit the bed for a couple of games and everyone kind of goes, oh yeah, they're just the most unlucky team in the world. They're not. They're Sometimes they're just not technically sound. Like, the coaching has to take a hit here. has to take the L and admit that, you know, if you fuck up this much, then you have to take the, some responsibility for this. And... You know, they decided to play Melvin Gordon twice on the goal line. And, and to be honest, if, 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 the, if the fumble hadn't been called back, there was a chance that game was going to end with the clock running out anyway. Yeah, it was just hubris to call those calls in the first place. But also, yeah. Gordon fumbled it on the first one as well, and they didn't take him out and put Eckler in. Like, Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's weird there. Like, And it's kind of, it's, it's weird because obviously they got Gordon back and now their team is worse. It's, yeah, I don't know what to do. Whereas on Tennessee's side... Look, it's not pretty. It's never going to be pretty. Uh, but they decided to make a decision. They they pulled Mariota. They brought in Tannehill, who was better simply for the fact that he's willing to throw the ball. And he had like 300, 300 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. But uh, like Tennessee, they're probably trending towards that like 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, nine and seven, like 7-9, 9-7 and seven kind of way. But mm. uh, hopefully this year that won't be enough for them to be relevant in the playoff one. But uh, Tennessee, they're definitely just boring average and that's why they won this game because the Chargers are the opposite lots of exciting stuff but then they do the absolutely stupidest stuff too oh yeah like I just yeah these these are two teams that I don't enjoy which is weird because like I don't like the Chargers they're in my division but I've all like the last couple of years I've enjoyed watching them play because they've been good they've been exciting they've got good players whereas this year I don't enjoy watching them I just don't find them exciting or interesting to watch play because they just keep making mistakes and they're not playing exciting football. Baltimore at Seattle, this is an exciting one, uh, 30 to 16. A couple of costly mistakes, a couple of defensive touchdowns, missed field goals and so on. But also Lamar Jackson kind of once again putting a case out there for a bit of consideration for the MVP. I think he is the fifth or sixth highest rusher this season so far, even though he plays quarterback at 142 passing, 116 rushing. Yeah, Baltimore's defense looked a bit better in this game. Peters, who they just acquired during the week, uh, picking off Russell Wilson for the first time of the season for a pick six there. But yeah, it's just it's it's interesting. Lamar is kind of boom boss, but in this spot it was very much boom. And the Seahawks defense, although it was getting a bit of pressure in the last couple of weeks, I think just weren't really equipped to deal with the speed and the 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 kind of the variety that was coming out of that backfield the game that was was close into the second half and then the second half well i'm well, sorry the pick six was in the first half like they were they were up and then they threw the pick six kind of like brought them down coming in the second half and in the second half which is backbreaker after backbreaker after backbreaker you know like they would they missed the field goal and baltimore scored on the subsequent drive um every time that they get into third and long Lamar Jackson would pull out like a long run and screw like get them over. And I think, you know, you know, when Bobby Wagner and KJ Ryder getting out like ran by the quarterback, that gives you an indication that, you know, 
it takes something unique in terms of defensive scheming to stop Lamar, and Seattle weren't willing to do that. They, they probably needed more safeties out there, even if you know, some of them were injured, like Bradley McDowell. So I think, you know, Seattle, they made their own mistakes. Lamar made enough magic to basically make this a lopsided game at the end, but uh, it was actually close enough for most of it. But uh, yeah, I think we saw some of the weaknesses that we've experienced previously for Seattle, where the, when the run game doesn't get going, and they lean too much on Russell Wilson, magic bullshit, that they can be exposed. So definitely a humbling loss for Seattle, but uh, Lamar Jackson, his kind of specialness requires you to adjust, and teams who don't do that will pay the price. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think I think what we've seen, the games where they've been slowed down, where they've had to change things around and not have as much success, is ones where they just basically sell out to stop or contain him as much as possible and just force him to throw outside of the numbers because if you can control the middle of the field and get him on the move that's your your only hope and even then you're not going to sack him that much like he just has that kind of ability you just have to contain him you need to use a spy and you need to have fast defensive back defensive back level fast players chasing him out yeah, and it's just there's, there's very few teams that have the have the equipment to be doing that. New Orleans at Chicago, thirty six to twenty five. Yeah, like they shouldn't have twenty five points in this game. New Orleans kind of just had them the whole game, uh, control them with the running game, able to get some production in like kind of play action stuff. New Orleans were fine, like we said going into this game. It's not that they were incredible. It's not that, like their defense looks good. Their offense is nice and kind of varied but it's not that they're world beaters it's that Chicago were awful in this game their defense were decent but still getting gashed in parts that they shouldn't have but Trubisky he's just not a franchise quarterback and they need to figure out what they what they can do with that we maybe have a have a solution to that later on in the question section but as it stands this team is going nowhere with him at quarterback and also the fact that they just leave the run behind entirely. I think there were something like seven rushing attempts in this game. Like, they have decent running backs there and they need that for the play style they want to do. And it just seems that they decide to, no, 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 we're just going to put this on Trubisky and have him throw like 40 times in a game even though he's not able to. And until they fix that, they are they are like a top 10 pick material kind of team. Next up, we have uh, Sunday Night Football, Philly at Dallas, 10-37. to A pretty dominant victory from Dallas. Kind of almost reminded me of their more traditional like 2018 playbook. Just run the ball through Zeke Elliott and some other people like Tony Pollard, getting you know like a, over 110 yards for Elliott. Just classic Dallas, just grind them out, keep the ball, milk the clock. And on the other side, Philly, they just they just can't get any rhythm right now. Like Carson Wentz is trying his heart out, but there's just not much for him to work with with the running game still being, you know, at best adequate. Uh, but when, you know, like Alshon Jeffrey doesn't look the same, you're relying, leaning so heavily on your tight end. This is just a team screaming out uh, to get someone like Deshaun Jackson back just to have that ability to have those big plays. Because right now they just, they're, they're trying to grind it out, but that's just not the way that they're built. And for a defense which you know was technically slightly better, and so they didn't get gashed like by long plays as much. Um, like yeah, the offense needs to do a lot of work to keep Philly relevant. Like they're only one game behind, albeit they have the head-to-head last night. But uh, yeah, they need to get healthy and they need to keep winning. Otherwise, uh, they'll be on the outside looking in for playoff time. Yeah, actually, I just realized Chicago and Philly, two teams with ex uh, Andy Reid head coaches. 
in charge, both struggling to properly use their run game. It doesn't seem all that surprising when I think about it that kind of way. Finally, New England at the Jets, Monday Night Football, 33 to nothing. There's, there's almost nothing to say here. Pats yeah. continue to roll with no real opposition. Brady was accurate, but not spectacular. This was one of those Sony Michelle three touchdown kind of games. The Jets, I think this is the first time since 96 they had a sub 50 yard passer with this many, like four interceptions. Just nothing happening at all. 3.6 passer rating. Historically bad from Darnold. Yeah, like the the only thing that I thought was interesting in this one was that there was a moment where Bill wanted to get a bit more space for his punter. So he intentionally caused a penalty. So the. The Jets then refused the penalty, so Bill went, okay, sent in, I think it was Brandon Bolden in, got him to false start to get another penalty to get the yardage that he wanted. They then rejected it again, and there's a brilliant picture of it doing around, or a video of it, of Bill just smirking away, because he wanted the space, but if you reject a penalty, the clock restarts. So he's able to just run over a minute off the clock because they refused to give him the yards that he wanted. So he won either way. It was just this crazy kind of like loophole in the rules that Bill Belichick's been waiting to point out at some point. Uh, So I suppose we'll swing over to the questions from the listeners. So we got a lot of questions in this week, but they tended to all be kind of like, oh, should this person trade for this person? Or like, are these guys going to move? So we just said we kind of take them and bundle them all into a larger one of what kind of trades would we like to see this week? What's the worst trade that could happen? What's a trade that we think would benefit both sides, but isn't really, is, isn't going to, going to happen or whatever. So there's lots of big names being floated around. So uh, Vic Beasley, Chris Harris, Emmanuel Sanders, AJ Green, like Trent Williams is being pursued, but they're saying that they're not going to shift him. There's rumors abound that the Chiefs might trade Chris Jones. Like there is lots and lots and lots of stuff doing the rounds at the moment. But obviously it's a week until you can't trade anymore. Every team is kind of going, oh, well, we just need this guy. We need that guy. So you'll see lots of rumors. So I suppose to start with you, Fitz, What's a trade you'd like to see this week, uh, either for your own team or just one you think that would just kind of be nice to see with a contender? Yeah, like I've talked about it already, but I think Trent Williams, free Trent Williams, hashtag free Trent Williams, let him go, Washington, let him go. Mm. Um, and to Cleveland would be fine. Like I don't know if Cleveland are a contender, but at least be appreciated there. But in terms of one that I haven't talked about before, I would like to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trade OJ Howard to the Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks <laughs> yeah. are looking for a tight end. Will Disley, I know he's a promising tight end, but he's now been injured two years in a row. They're not using OJ Howard at all. He's basically lying out there, Bruce Arian system, basically like a vestigial triple appendix or something like that. They don't want him. They don't want to use him. Cameron Braid is more of the Bruce Arian style. Um, and they could probably get, um, if not a first rounder, certainly a second rounder for a player of his caliber. I think it would be a waste because in other systems he would be a great player, but if they plan to keep Arians around for the next year or two, then they're wasting away a resource that they could get good value for right now. And I think for Seattle it's an obvious pick. Maybe he's a too much of a Jim, Jimmy Graham rather than Will Disley, but I think just having a dynamic tight end, they saw the effect that had their offense. It would be great to have someone like that back instead of having to rely too much on these kind of uh, lesser wide receivers that they're doing at the moment. Yeah, no, of course. One that I'd like to see that I think would be good 
for both sides. I think AJ Green, get him out of Cincinnati. I also, I get a feeling you might almost get kind of like Ramsey, kind of his uh, health issues might clear up a lot quicker if he was playing on a different team. <laughs> I would like to see them send him to the San Francisco 49ers because I think they need help at wide receiver. I think that's one that they could use very well. They've been linked with a lot of wide receiver potentials, but like put a proper number one in there, free up a bit of space for Kittle underneath. Like I think it would be a nice fit for them. And also, let's be honest, AJ Green, he's already 30 or 31 years old. And that makes me feel old because I'm like, how did he get to be that old? I, <laughs> I've been watching this longer than he's been playing it. I think for the Chiefs, I'd love to see a pickup of linebacker because I just think our linebacker... Now, our linebackers look better last week. We've decided to stop. We were holding out one or two for injury concerns and also, I think, for trade potential because I think part of the... One of them or two of them are going to be involved in the trade that we offered for Jalen Ramsey at cornerback. But uh, like cornerback could be all right, but I don't see that changing it a lot. I could see if we could get a nice run-stuffing linebacker in there that'd be something I'd like to see from ourselves so what do you think would be maybe one of the worst trades that could happen like not just ones that like oh yeah we'll give away a starting quarterback for whatever but like ones that you can see people making a jump for like the the, the, te- the Texans giving a third round pick for that uh, yeah I was just about to say the Houston Texans are already kind of beating us out uh, the one player I would probably be a little bit afraid of giving up any significant capital would be Vic Beasley I think you know, he had that one really good year. He's done nothing since then. Like, maybe you can blame Atlanta, the coaching there. But I do kind of feel like he's one of those kind of undersized guys that in most systems, if you're giving up big capital for him, he's not going to do what you expect him to do. He's maybe one of those players like uh, Shaq Barrett. If he ends up, like, flushing through into being, like, a back-end situation passer, he could be useful. But if you're trading away anything significant for him, I probably wouldn't advise it. I'm trying to think of like what would be the worst trades that we could see. Like, I suppose it'd be kind of, for me, it would be like taking combinations of players, maybe even ones that we've mentioned already that then end up in spots that aren't helpful for them, but you could see people making the decision to go for it. Like, things like the Mazungus always like kind of big name players. So they go, well, we'll take, uh, we'll take AJ off you and we'll send you Trent Williams for your offensive yeah, line I, issues and both getting just. If you need a quarterback, don't trade for Josh Norman. He's, he's not very good right now. Oh god, it'd be uh, horrible. Example. Yeah, that's what actually Josh Norman. I'd be I'd be terrified of the Chiefs like paying for someone like Josh Norman or or, or something along those lines. It would be pretty nasty. I think one that one that I think would be depending on what you get charged for it would be a terrible trade if a team gave up a second round pick for Melvin Gordon at this point. Because remember, they were shopping him and they wanted a first and, and they were getting offers of second round picks and. Yeah, like, like you know, I look at like Melvin Gordon or a second rounder, and then I look at someone like Kenyon Drake, who you would probably get for like a, a fourth or fifth rounder, and I'm kind of like, relative value, is that worth it? Like, I think Melvin Gordon, he just, I think the way things are going, uh, unless you have lack of cap room for whatever reason, um, you could probably better off just waiting till the off season and getting it then if you're really that interested. Mm. Okay, so one final one then: trades that won't happen but you think should. <laughs> oh man, that's a uh, that's a difficult one. Well, Trent Williams is probably the one based on how stupid the Mizuku's are. I've got uh, I've got one out I there. Think, but... I think I would like to see. 
uh, Nick Foles traded, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think is going to happen. I think that they'll bring him back in. But I'd love to see Nick Foles traded um, to someone who is a contender, like someone like Chicago, for example. I'd love Interesting to see you say that because I was I was thinking the exact same area, <laughs> but I was I was thinking um, maybe Denver either. No, I was thinking they go bigger. I think say you saw a loss this week. Yeah, say say they had a loss this week and they decide, look, no, it's time, time to move on and let the new series happen. Trade Philip Rivers to the Chicago Bears. Oh, okay. Now that is a that is a team that you could get excited about. Just, but then that just makes the Chargers so much more depressing as they're supposed to be getting excited for their new. Uh, True, but like you, you, like the, the issue you're going to have is that you're not. The, I think essentially the Bears don't have a first round pick this year and possibly even next year as well, yeah. following the Mac and the trade up. But like, you know, get a get get a bounty of them and maybe a couple of pieces. Like they've they've definitely got some spare bits and pieces you could grab, and you know, then just work yourself towards getting it's it's a QB rich draft. Rivers is already what thirty eight now, and like yeah, like uh, 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 I don't know, uh, definitely wouldn't happen, but it would be very interesting. Mm. The only other one that's been mentioned in very hushed whispers is Cam Newton. Cam Newton, there's been rumors that f- that the Panthers are unsure about if they're gonna want to go long term with him or whether they want to change the approach. There's been some unhappiness with even the coaching staff there as well, and whether or not there'd be value in a trade for him. Like, how much would a Cam Newton cost? Well, at least, uh, I would say he's still worth multiple first-rounders, in my opinion. Even with the injury um, history and everything going in? I think if he's if he's healthy and you have a team who has a problem at the quarterback position, I think Cam Newton, if he gets back to being healthy, even for a couple more years, we know that he's capable of doing something, doing things that just no other quarterback is capable of. Now, I don't know where the trade partner would come from, but I think if someone was desperate for that franchise QB, Cam would definitely mm-hmm. be up there, in my opinion. Yeah. Still. So I think I think you could probably get Cam for a first and a third, and then maybe a conditional third that could become a second the following year or something like that. I don't I think... I don't fair value is, but I don't think that was what he would actually get if Carolina could somehow be convinced to do something. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because I think we both, we, we both agree, I think these probably one of the upper-end quarterbacks in the league when he's there. But I think given two or three shoulder surgeries, some leg issues as well, like there would be concerns of putting that much draft capital and presumably probably a new... Actually, yeah, if you're putting that much draft capital in, a, 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 a new deal as well in the works for him would be the, yeah. would be the concern. And just, just to be in line with it, just some breaking news that the San Francisco 49ers have traded for Emmanuel Sanders... Okay. Um, and a fifth rounder in exchange for a third and fourth round pick. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So that will kill the uh, the AJ Green to them. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we kind of knew that that was the, what they were in the market for. So that's uh, yeah. that's good. Okay. So the Broncos are in full fire sale mode then. Although I suppose he did he did fight their now their 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 what second year wide receiver. Yeah, and like Curtin Sutton's probably their wide receiver one this season. Uh, mm-hmm. Deshaun Hamilton has shown some promise, but uh, yeah, for Denver, I think it's extracting value for someone who's in the final year of his contract and uh, probably wasn't sticking around. No, of course, right? So we'll f- yeah, we'll leave it at that because 
by the time, like I said, by the time that this is out, that probably some of these will have happened or not happened and we'll look at either smart or very stupid. So we'll go on to things that will look either smart or stupid for later on and take our picks for next week. Okay, so first up, Thursday Night Football. Uh, Washington, Minnesota. We go in Minnesota because Washington are awful. Yeah? Yep. Cool. Next up. Seattle and Atlanta. Uh, this should, on paper, be a complete blowout, especially if Matt Schaub is starting. Uh, but I think you know the one the little spice here is obviously it's the Dan Quinn uh, like return for Seattle. They've obviously played since he joined them. But uh, if Seattle were to stick the knife in and get Dan Quinn fired, it would be, uh, <laughs> be a sad end for that uh, after that era. Like I think uh, we've discussed it a lot before, but it definitely has the feel of that like late Mike Smith era in Atlanta and uh, getting a smacking from Seattle would, would certainly be in line with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Chargers at Chicago. Fitz, you've gone for Chicago. I've gone for the Chargers. To be honest, either one could win this game. Uh, both are yeah. flawed. I just, yeah, I just think the Chargers have enough talent on their roster that they should win a game or two. Chicago, until they fix the quarterback issues or how they manage giving the ball to their running backs, I just, I, I can, I can see the Chargers putting up more than fifteen points. And I always struggle to see Chicago doing that. Uh, yeah, and to be honest, like if if the Chargers just use Austin Eckler instead of Melvin Gordon, maybe I'd agree with you. But if they keep using Melvin Gordon as they continue to seem to want to do, then I think that will continue to stymie their offense. And the Chargers are incredibly good at losing, as we saw this week. I think just Chicago. I think Chicago defense is due a big blow up uh, like performance and they might get to mm. rivers a lot and actually yeah, yeah cause they have to travel full like a big cross country yeah. trip as well yeah yeah not, it, it, it won't be a fun game to watch but uh, Chicago maybe to win a messy game in Soldier Field no of course Giants at Detroit we've both gone for Detroit because well Giants are a bit of a mess right now Detroit are decent they're at home and yeah pretty much next up New York Jets at Jacksonville get excited more Minshew magic will probably be enough to like, well, the Jets just came off an absolute spanking, um, and I don't know how deflated they'll be by that. Maybe they can come back like they did against the Cowboys and win, but uh, I think Jacksonville are a solid enough team. Their defense has been okay, and I think Minshew and Shark and Fournette have enough firepower to, to kind of put enough points to kind of put away a, a fairly mediocre Jets team at best. No, of course, Cincinnati at the Rams. We've both gone for the Rams. Yeah, like Aaron Donald versus probably the worst offensive line in football who are now suspending their own players. Like, yeah, yeah. London London game, revenge game for Zach Taylor for giving him a job that he doesn't deserve probably. Uh, but yeah, not not really. Another easy win for the Rams to get right after a troublesome season. Yeah, 100%. Next up. Tampa Bay at Tennessee. Uh, you've gone for Tampa Bay. I've gone for Tennessee. Who the fuck knows? Because both these teams are completely unknowable. Tennessee are much more boring on average, but they have now have Tannehill in there who actually passes the ball quickly and downfield. Amazing innovation coming from Tannehill <laughs> there. Whereas Ta- Tampa Bay only throw the ball downfield. Yeah. And James Winston only heard about the uh, only heard about the uh, short pass earlier this off season. I think Tampa Bay are due for a late season absolute fundamental collapse. Jameis Winston is already rumoured to already basically be out the door at the end of the season. And they just feel like a team that could shite the bed really, really hard. 
Um, whereas Tennessee, I think they're just coached well enough maybe that they can grind out a win at home here. But uh, mm. for Tennessee to win, they'll probably need to keep this a low-scoring, boring game. If Tampa Bay win, it might actually be worth watching. So yeah, maybe the other thing, though, Tennessee are pretty garbage as teams go, and Tampa Bay are coming off a bye. They're pretty garbage as teams go, but they're coming off a bye. That's pretty much the entirety of my choice like, to back Tampa Bay. If Tampa Bay win, it'll be a game, so maybe you have the moral Hopefully, hopefully. Philly at Buffalo. I've gone for Philly. You've gone for Buffalo. I think Philly have underperformed the last couple of games. They should hopefully be able to get a bit back on track. Buffalo, I think, have a very good defense. Don't trust their offense. I think just they're, they're due to start to lose a couple of these games, particularly when they start playing these better teams. Philly are in a slump and this is a real good get right game because you got the narrative element of this is a five and one team that you're going to beat, but also they're not the quality of a five and one team. So you can, you know, get your morale up without actually having to, you know, loose it all on the battlefield. Yeah. I think this is a, it's a challenge for McDermott here because we know the weakness of the Philly defense is in their secondary. Their run defense is pretty stout. Um, so they need to put the ball in Josh Allen's hand and trust that he can get the receiving yards with John Brown, Dawson, Knox, etc. I think it's a it's it's actually a really interesting challenge for them if they're willing to adjust their game plan straight up and if Josh Allen is able to be more of a proper passer and not rely on that run game. But uh, yeah, should be interesting. Yeah, of course. Denver and Indianapolis. We've both gone for Indianapolis. Denver are awful. They've just lost one of their wide receivers. Joe Flacco doesn't want to be there. Yeah, just a loss for them, full stop. Indianapolis looking great. Next up? Arizona at New Orleans. Uh, Arizona obviously on a three-game winning streak. New Orleans managing to keep winning despite having no Drew Brees. Possibility of Drew Brees back in this game that will probably tip the scales even further in New Orleans' favour. But uh, I think Arizona are an interesting team. They certainly aren't as bad as they were early on this season, but... You'd imagine New Orleans, the way that they're just putting away teams of all qualities over the last few weeks, they can find a game plan to defeat uh, what has, is an Arizona roster with many, many holes on various different levels of their defense yeah. and offense. Like, so you should be able to grind it out more Sean Payton victory here. But that's the thing, like, New Orleans have a good defense. Arizona will struggle against good defense. They've managed, they've got a nice bit of diversity in offense. Like, I can see, I can see a route to Arizona winning, but just at the moment, Got to trust the game plan and the personnel of New Orleans over the new coach and new personnel within Arizona. Next up is your pick of the week, Carolina at San Francisco. We've both yeah, gone for San Francisco. Yeah, like I think San Francisco are quiet right now. We're, we're probably on the bandwagon. The defense is obliterating other teams, uh, including a fairly top-level contender like the Rams, uh, more or less. Uh, so you'd expect that they're going to get after Kyle Allen and force him to play the game hard and force Christian McCaffrey to do stuff. I think the big, I think the reason we're picking San Francisco is that we trust that their uh, defensive line can bottle up Christian McCaffrey enough that Kyle Allen will have to pass uh, more than five yards or ten yards, whatever. Won't have time to sit there. And I think Kyle Allen is efficient, but I don't know if he's efficient enough to do enough uh, when San Francisco can get going. I think for San Francisco, uh, the offense has been up and down. But I think we know the formula. They want to run the ball a lot. They want to keep going. Uh, and if they can establish the run game with Coleman and Breida, um, then they should be able to win this game relatively easily. If not, and they rely on Garoppolo, who now has Sanders, of course, um, as we just saw there, um, then things get a bit more interesting. But two teams, I think Carolina, definitely competitive in this game. 
Uh, and I think it's another test of the San Francisco hype train, whether we're willing to fully get on board. But I think the, the Rams game was a huge win, but they haven't faced that many of these top sides yet. And Carolina certainly deserve to be among those uh, contenders. Yeah, of course. But there is, like we said, that, that one slight weakness of the pass rush that is the massive strength in that San Francisco thing is going up against the rookie quarterback who I think it's only after last week that he's finally been sacked and not fumbled the ball on every single sack that he'd been hit on. So it is one that could cause some worries down the line. Oakland at Houston is up next. We've both gone for Houston in a kind of get-right game. But like we said, Oakland have looked frisky of late. They could do it. My problem is I just don't see the quality in their defense to cause the issues that the likes of the Colts have caused for Houston. I think we, we kind of see Houston and the highs of the Houston roster are just better than the Oakland one. But mm-hmm. yeah, Oakland are frisky. We know the Houston team has uh, definite issues. And, I want, and once again, it's another case where the natural game plan the Oakland Raiders are pulling out right now with a lot of Josh Jacobs, a lot of short passes, whether they might be better, better off Find, like getting Derek Carr, getting more deep passes, being a bit more adventurous, because against this Houston defensive backfield, they definitely could do that. Well, they also they know exactly how, where to target Gary and Connolly, which is uh, <laughs> anywhere you want and at all Gary times that you possibly can do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Cleveland at New England. Yeah, I think this game might be interesting more out of hope than actual expectation. On form, there's always a chance this could be another New England absolute defensive domination. And then Sonny Michel... Baker Mayfield leads the league in interceptions and he's going up against the defense that leads the league in interceptions. Like Coming coming off the bye week, Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield, OBJ, Nick Chubb, they, they all come into the room, they all plan it together. There's, there's systemic weakness in the New England defense that no one saw yet. They'll come back and they'll have a great game. Much like when they like when I picked uh, this game against Baltimore for Cleveland, or for like I'm more out of hope than expectation. Maybe just maybe Cleveland can put up a good show here, but uh, it definitely would be better than just another blowout for England. No, it's true, and maybe maybe that's the thing. Yeah, they're coming off the bye. Maybe they can look at it and and come up with something. Because the thing is, like we said, this New England team, their offense isn't good. It's just their defense is very good. So like, if they can figure something out, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I think just. Again, the problems that Baker Mayfield have match up very poorly with this uh, this uh, New England defense has been operating. Next up, Green Bay, Kansas City. I suppose de facto my pick of the week. I'm not loving a lot of the games here. Uh, this would have been an incredible game had Pat Mahomes not been injured. But I'm still interested enough and I've decided to, to, to roll with the boys. I'm still going for Kansas City, even though I know I shouldn't be. Um, the, 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 the boys in the desert only have us as three-point dogs in this one. And uh, Green Bay for fits. I think Green Bay are an excellent team at the moment. They're going to be really, yeah. really difficult to deal with. But we saw with the Oakland game last week that they are exploitable. There are things that they don't do well. Kansas City's offense didn't look fantastic whenever they brought in Matt Moore until kind of in the fourth quarter. But that's because they didn't have time to adjust the game plan. They played on Thursday night, so they had a couple of extra days. Andy Reid with extra time is good. He's been able to scheme like he had Alex Smith as an MVP candidate running his schemes beforehand. So I do think he'll be able to try and put something together to keep the offense exciting. The big question mark is going to be how good Aaron Rodgers is versus was it just playing Denver that allowed the KC defense to look halfway decent? It's a home game for us as well. 
this is a team that in the year that we won two games in a season, one of our, sorry, I think it was 15 and one. Our one win was against the nearly undefeated Green Bay Packers. Their only loss that year in the regular season being us. Anything can happen and fuck it. Why not? Let's go Chiefs. Yeah. And I think for two, I, I know Patrick Holmes isn't there, but two kind of pass first teams historically, this might be a game where whoever can actually, will actually does the hard work of establishing the run game given the respective weaknesses of both defences, mm-hmm. might actually end up benefiting a lot from choosing to do so. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, it, 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 I think it'll be an interesting one, at least. I'll, I'll enjoy watching it uh, the following day. I'm not going to be up at 4 a.m. to yeah. watch it. Like, uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Speaking of not bothering to say it. Oh, there, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wait, we, we might just record our podcast next week on the on the Monday and just not watch Monday yeah. Night Football. Like. Miami at Pittsburgh. The absolute pits, to be honest. Uh Pittsburgh win because Miami lose. That's all they do. All they do is lose. Uh, uh, I think Mason Rudolph is back. I suppose that's interesting. James Conner may be injured, but it's Miami. They lose. That's just what they do. And just don't bother uh, doing this. At least this is a relatively un-fantasy relevant matchup, so you don't even have to worry about that on, on after Sunday. No, uh, the, the, on, the only way that it's fantasy relevant is uh, if people... Maybe Juju. No, no, no. If people are smart, they're starting the Pittsburgh defense. It's like the second oh, yeah. highest scoring defense, <laughs> and it's going up against Miami. Like <laughs> that's your uh, that, that that's a defense that could be good for twenty points. Like so you're saying, not to start Mark Walton in fantasy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, it's going to wrap it up for this week. Like we said, we'd expect to see a lot of trade moves, possibly, and a lot of kind of bits and pieces like that over the next few days we'll obviously be talking about but uh, as always fire in your questions to us on Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff but I suppose for now it's uh, bye from myself bye from Fitz bye it's been all four quarters thanks so much for listening and we will chat to you next week